as we get past Easter, right? So obviously it's the first week past Easter. Easter was one week ago, um, if you weren't aware. Um, I thought it prudent to talk about the repercussions, if you will, of following Christ, right? We praise God as we should for Easter, for what Easter means to the world, and specifically to us as believers, right? The, we, we rightfully call it, in my opinion, the greatest day in all of human history was that Sunday morning when Jesus walked out of a tomb. It's the greatest single moment in the whole of human history. And over the past 2,000 some odd years, depending on if you believe that Jesus was born in what we would call 0 AD or, you know, you're in a 33-year times group, so it doesn't really matter um, what his exact date of birth was and his exact date of death was. It's a 33-year time span, so roughly 2,000 years. There has been joy and hope and peace and a lot of persecution poured out on his people. Now, I want to say this. I've said this in a couple of different sermons over the past couple of years. I want to say this from the jump. You live in America. America. It is the greatest country on earth. It is, in my opinion, the greatest country in terms of its freedoms and such that has ever existed on this earth. There will never be a country like the United States of America again. It won't happen. Read in scripture. America itself is not mentioned, but we know what the end times and stuff looks like. And you will not have the freedoms you currently have when Jesus is ruling. It'll be far better than you currently have, but you won't have all of those freedoms that the Constitution guarantees you and stuff like that underneath Christ anymore. So in terms of its freedoms, you live in the greatest country that has ever existed. And no one in this room, and in most of America, I won't say all, but in most of America, has ever actually faced persecution. Okay? The rest of the world cannot say that, but in America we can. It's one of the reasons that the American church is so wishy-washy and weak, quite frankly. I want to point that out from the beginning, because I don't want anybody to go, oh, I'm so persecuted. You are not. You might be mocked a little bit. You might be put out by some people and some institutions and stuff like that. You might face ridicule. And eventually in America, I don't know if it'll be next year or a hundred years from now, it doesn't matter, but eventually in America there will be actual persecution of the Christian church. It's guaranteed. It is not right now. It is not today as you currently sit here or watch online or listen to the podcast, right? Unless you're listening to the podcast 50 years from now and you are persecuted, don't go, well, the pastor's saying I wasn't going to be persecuted. No. But I want to point that out from the jump. Because today we are going to talk about the fact that as a Christian, the world should hate and despise you. If the world likes you, newsflash, you're not living a Christian life. How do I know? Jesus tells, him, tells us himself. Let's read it. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which, which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they've done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Okay. Number one on your note sheets. The five statements. The five statements. Jesus makes five separate statements in these verses about a Christian's relationship with the world and why a Christian's relationship with the world is like that. Okay? So, number one, the five statements. Let's talk about them. Number one of those five, the world hates Christ. It says it right in verse 18. The world hated him. You all know uh, that I love Casting Crowns. And on their newest album, um, they have a song, and in the one line, it says, uh, the world was ready for his gifts, but not his plan. The world wanted what Jesus could give them, salvation, healing, hope even. They wanted, they, remember the Jews thought Jesus was going to deliver them from the hand of Rome. They wanted the gifts that God gave. They did not want the process it took to get there. They were a-okay with saying, oh yeah, your peace you leave with me, I like that. Oh, you, you brought back multiple people from the dead. We read it throughout the Gospels that we have no idea the amount of people Jesus healed of their sicknesses and ailments because in multiple places it just says he spent the day healing anyone who was brought before him. I think it's safe to say he healed at least hundreds, if not thousands of people over his three-year time span. They loved that he was like, be nice to each other, love each other. It was only when he started saying, the world's going to hate you because I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That's when they started leaving because they went, now hang on, I like what you're saying. I don't like that part, and I'm not willing to do that part. There's a whole idea out there, especially on like social media and stuff like that, about if Jesus was around today, he'd be appalled. Yes, he would. He'd be appalled at many, many things, both in and outside the church. That's not today's sermon. But here's the thing. If Jesus taught what a ton of churches teach, what a ton of other preachers teach, what the world teaches as what Christ, what the world says Christ taught, if he was around and taught that then, they never would have crucified him. They never would have crucified him. They killed him because they hated what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's me. You don't get there through works, through money. You don't get there because you think you're a good person. You don't get there following any other religion. You get there through me. They hated him in short because he spoke the truth. And they have hated him ever since. They have hated him ever since. And he says, they will hate you because they hated me. If you are actually following after me. If you are following after what I say, they will hate you as well. 
So that's the first statement. The second one we read in verse 19. Christians don't belong in verse 19. If you were of this world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, because of this, the world hates you. Church, you are supposed to be an alien in this world. People are supposed to look at you like they would look at a little green man that landed from a spaceship. That's how people should look at us. They should go, what the heck is that? That doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And yet too often we are so wrapped up in, well, I have to fit in with what the world says. How am I going to preach the gospel to somebody if they don't accept me? You preach the gospel to them. That's how you do it. We are not supposed to fit in. You don't belong here. From the moment you become a Christian, this place is not your home anymore. Your home is in heaven. You are an alien here. You don't belong, and neither do I. We don't belong here. Now, you are placed here for a time such as this, as we read in Esther. You are placed here to do something for Christ. I don't know what it is. That's individual to each of us. But rest assured that as long as you are on this earth, Christ is not done with you yet. Because he hasn't called you home. There's a reason we say when a, beloved, when a loved one has died, when a Christian has died, we say Christ called them home. Because he did. I think about it like this. When I was a kid, and we lived uh, on a house on, on East Lake Road, there was a bell. That bell is still at my parents' house now. There was a bell. And that bell, when it got rung, you could hear it. As far as we were allowed to go, you could hear that bell. And when that bell was rung, it meant come home. Most of the time it was for dinner, but that bell meant come home. It was so that my Carrie or my dad did not have to go out and start shouting, because who knows, Nathan might be on the trampoline, and I'm down in the woods, and Christina and Linnea are using my dad's very, very nice pots to make mud. They did that. They used to try to get us to eat like a pine cone dipped in mud. We had, I had older sisters, what do you expect? I got back at them because I would pop their heads off their Barbies. And then, and then, get this, my dad would glue the heads back on so they looked like this. It was great fun. No, but that bell always meant come home. No matter where you are, what you are doing, it does not matter. You drop what you are doing and you come home. For a believer, Christ rings that bell once. No one in here he has rung that bell for yet. One day he will. But until he's rung that bell, you know what you're supposed to do? Keep doing what he's called you to do until he rings that bell. We don't belong here. We never have and we won't as long as you are a believer. You are supposed to be. I am supposed to be counter-cultural. That does not mean that some things in culture aren't taken from what Christ would say and that we shouldn't do them, right? It's big right now. Love each other. That is straight from Scripture. Yes, love each other. Do not condone each other. Those are two different words. Love everyone. I hate it when I see somebody post on Facebook, a, a person who claims to be a believer, when they post on Facebook or they send a text message or they're talking to me, I can't stand it when they say something, text something, post something, and I'm like, 
Jesus would never have said that. Never have said that. Ever. How dare we think that we should wield the sword that Christ is the only one allowed to wield. We are called to love. You are not called to condone. We are not called to be part of this world. You should be different. When people look at you, they should see somebody who is different than everyone else because you don't belong here. The third statement he makes, we read in verse 20. You will be persecuted because you follow Christ. You want to know if you're following Christ or not? Check how much people persecute you. We'll use that word, but ridicule, mock, look down on you, that sort of thing. Because of your faith. Not because you're a, um, oh, what's a clean way of putting this? Not because you're an angry, rude person. If somebody persecutes you because you're just not good to be around, you don't get to go, I'm persecuted for the cause of Christ. No, you don't get to do that. But if you stand on what this book says alone, if you stand alone on what this book says, no other book, I don't care who wrote it. I don't care if it was David Jeremiah, uh, Ravi Zacharias. I don't care if it was somebody from 2,000 years ago. If it is not in this book, one of the 66 books found in the Bible, you do not stand on it. You don't. You stand on this, this alone. And if you are persecuted, mocked, ridiculed, whatever, because of that, good job. Congratulations. You are following the cause of Christ. That does not mean that every waking moment of your life should be absolutely awful, right? I'm not standing up here going, if you have any good moments in your life, you're not following Jesus. Not at all. Not at all. I am saying that if people you know are unbelievers consider you one of them, you're not really following Christ at that point. The fourth one we read is in verse 21. The people who do the persecuting do not know God. They don't know God. That's kind of an important distinction because we like to be like, well, you know, especially amongst believers, right? If I go up to Maddie and I just destroy her, Maddie, you do this wrong, you do this wrong, you're a sinner in this area. Well, how dare you do this? How dare you do that? I don't know God. I don't. That does not mean I can't point out certain things. But here's the thing. Of the people currently in this room, I count two, maybe, who can effectively go up to my wife and tell her a sin struggle she's having. That's it. Because the rest of you don't have that relationship with her. And it's the same for the rest of you, right? It's not just her. For everyone else, you, you, don't have, you don't have a billion people who can do that, right? The other aspect of it is, and I love to point this out, it's earlier in John, the woman at the well, Jesus pointed out her sin. He did. It was incredibly in love. And he didn't point it out when he first met her. He pointed it out only to prove his divinity and who he was. It was not to put her down. It was not to make her feel worse. It was not to make him be holier than thou. 
Church, if we ever have a holier-than-thou attitude, we are in the wrong place. We're in the wrong place. Now, that does not mean that there haven't been times over the past couple of years I've gone to Maddie and say, hey, honey, I think you're struggling with this. And vice versa. Right? Because we have that relationship. And you, you should have that relationship if you are married. You should have that relationship with your spouse. You should also have a couple other people. Here's the thing. Any of you in here could come up and say, Sam, I think you're dealing with this. And I go, thank you very much. And then I would go ask other people who I trust more than you guys. And the same thing, if I come up to, 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 to uh, well, who should we use? Who's a guinea pig? Jan's not here today, so I can't use her. If I go up to Laura, well, no, I wouldn't go up to you because you're a woman. I'd send Maddie. Um, if I went up to, to Jared, no, I meet with Jared every Friday. I can't use him. Um, crap. If I go up to, if I go, fine, I'll use Louie. If I go up to Louie and I say, hey, Louie, I've noticed over the past couple of weeks you know, the first time I saw it, I went, maybe he just had a, he had a moment of weakness. It happens. I won't, I won't bring it to his attention. But I've seen it as a pattern over the past week, week and a half, two weeks. You really seem to be struggling with your, with your language. You're using some just terrible language. And I don't think that's how God would want us to speak. Um, how can I help you? How can I help you to, 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 to work past that, to work through that? You should not take my word as gospel. You know what you should go do? You should go ask your wife and say, hey, Pat, what do you think? And you should go ask somebody else you trust and say, what do you think? Have you noticed this as well? Right? It's a group thing, but the thing is, in the church, if you are the persecutor of another Christian, how dare we persecute other Christians? I'm not saying call out other Christians' sin. Those are two very different things. But how dare we persecute another actual believer? In Christ. We're never called to wield the sword that Christ is. That sword, right? And I've said that twice now. That sword that is used to divide, right, that we read in Hebrews. That divides uh, uh, the, 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 the joint, that cuts deepest. We are not called to wield that sword. That is Christ's and Christ alone. We are called to be his hands and feet. And to go into the world. My job as your pastor has never and never will be to tear you down. Now, I have pointed out things, whether it's in sermons or one-on-one -on -one with people before. And by the way, Louie, I don't think you're struggling with that. But if you just had a little twinge in the back of your mind, the Holy Spirit might have been, hey, Louie. Yeah, no. I just pulled that out of nowhere. I don't think Louie's struggling with that personally. But either way, um, we're not called to wield that sword. We are called to love the flip outside of it is also true in that those of the world that persecute, you know they're not from God. They're not of God, I should say. They are not of God. The world will try to say that they are. It will. The world will try to morph and, and turn things so that you can't even, they'll try to make it so you can't go, time out. That's not of God. They'll try to morph it. No, no that the persecutors don't know him. They don't know him. And the last one that we read about that's in verse 24 is that Christ's words and works rebuke them. These two verses here, they can be a little confusing because they say uh, in verse um, uh, 24 and um, 22, 
right? If I had not spoken, they would not have sin. If I had not done works, they would not have sin. The word sin there is not the wrongdoing, okay? They still would have sinned, right? People before Christ sinned. That's not what that means. It does mean that one of Christ's primary goals and jobs was to point out the people's sin. It was. He said it so many times, one-on-one and in sermons. Now, just because people missed it doesn't mean he wasn't saying it. But he says that essentially everything I said and everything I did pointed out the sin of this world. Church, we are called to point out sin. Now, we are not Christ. We are supposed to be Christ-like, but we are not Christ. And I have a real struggle, this is me personally, have a real struggle with pointing out people's sin and coming across as loving. I have a good friend, uh, his name is Tristan. Tristan could come up and tell you that he knows you killed four people and you would feel loved by it. He just has that nature, that air about him. The one day, the one day I was driving a van, he was sitting next to me, and he goes, this was... 2017, maybe 2016, early 2017 or late 2016. And he goes, Sam, tell me about your, your, your mother he, he, and stuff like that. So I was talking to him a little bit. And he goes, have you ever forgiven her? And I went, yeah, yeah, I have. And he goes, are you sure? You seem to still hold quite a lot of hatred and resentment in your heart. I've had a lot of people say that sort of stuff to me, and most of the time it just makes me defensive. I couldn't be defensive with him because he has that nature about him that you know he loves you, and that's why he's pointing it out. That's what Christ did to the woman at the well. It's what we are called to do. But your words and actions, I love it, I love it. I will be out and about, especially with Maddie, right? We'll be out and about places, whether it's at Green Gables while her parents are playing shuffleboard or, or somewhere else. We'll be with people that know that I'm a pastor, right? And they will say something. And they go, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't, I, I forgot. I, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't use that language around you. And my normal response is, if you shouldn't use it around me, you probably shouldn't use it anywhere. Just because you're around me doesn't mean you should use it somewhere else. The very fact that I am a pastor means people act more Christ-like around me than they do when I'm not around. The fact of the matter is, you should act the same around me as you do around everyone else. Now, that does not mean you should be your totally depraved, crass self around me. It means around everyone else you should be more Christ-like. It's the fact of the matter. Your very life, the words you speak, if people don't look at you and go, man, you talk about that Jesus guy a lot. Okay. I had somebody, If you, a lot of you guys in here are friends with me on Facebook, um, and I post essentially two things. I post a lot of Christian things, mainly from one specific page that I like, but a lot of Christian things. And to a lesser degree, over the past couple of years, before that it was not, but over the last couple of years, um, sports stuff. I post sports stuff. 
the lesser degree is because I no longer post my angry rants about sports on my Facebook as often anymore. Because I realized it's not really what I should be doing. Instead, I make my wife listen to them. <laughs> we were literally watching a game the other day, and I turned to her and I said, you're going to be Drucker for a few minutes. And she went, what? And I went, I need to talk about the stupid thing the Phillies just did. On average, to this point this year, there have been 15 or so games played. Major League teams have made three outs on the base pass. That means getting a stolen base, getting caught stealing, or running into a tag. Three. The Phillies have nine. It's Little League stuff. If the outfielder has the ball 10 feet from you, don't try to get to second base. Oh, it's infuriating. They're getting paid millions to do something the six-year-old playing t-ball doesn't do. And God bless my wife, because she just sits there and listens to it. She also sits there as I make new friends. We went to a baseball game Friday night, and I was very good friends with the drunk sitting next to me by the end of the night. He was not drunk when the conversation started, but by the end of the night, he went, you have a, a good weekend. And I went, boy, please don't drive home. I have no idea where I was going. Oh, posting stuff, posting stuff, right? And I've had people ask me, oh, why do you post so much Christian stuff? Because that is who I am. I'm a sports fan. I'm a, I almost said a musical fan. I'm not a musical fan. I'm a music fan. I am a fan of a lot of different things. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Marvel, DC, Star Wars. I love all that stuff. But first and foremost, I am a Christian. And so that is what I want to put out there. And if people don't look at you and go, Oh, you're a Christian first. And I don't care what qualification it is. If people look at you and say, oh, you are a specific race first. Wrong. They should see you're a Christian first. If they see you are a sports fan first. Nope. They should see when they know you. I don't mean they see you walking down the street. Right? When they actually know you. If they see you're a sports fan first. Wrong. Whatever it is, I don't care what it is. If you are defined by anything other than Christ, you are defined by the wrong thing. You're defined by the wrong thing. Let's wrap it up because uh, Erica needs to get out of here. Here we go. Let's apply it to our lives, shall we? I love making fun of people, it's the greatest thing in the world. All right, let's apply it. Number one, do not be shocked when the world hates you and persecutes you. Too often, I see Christians who are like, oh, can you believe that XYZ is happening? Yes, this book said it would. Have you read it? Maybe you should. This world is only going to continue to get worse. Don't be shocked by it. Instead, when I, see, when I see something happen, then I go, oh, man, this world's getting worse. It doesn't make me go, oh, I'm so angry. It used to. But anymore, it makes me go, crap, I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. And there are billions of people on their way to hell. If the world ended today, it's not going to, but if it did, billions of people would be in hell. I have a lot of work to do. Number two. 
ask yourself this very important question. Does the world hate you? If not, figure it out. Because it should. If the world looks at you and goes, you're one of us, then you are not one of his. It's that simple. Get it so the world looks at you and goes, oh, you're one of his? I want you to be one of us. And lastly, we're going quick through them today. Not because of you, because this is just the way it worked out. I could make it go longer. The last one. Here's your practical one for today. Here's your practical one for today. I want you to join me in memorizing verses 18 and 19 of this chapter. It's really the whole crux kind of of this, of this passage of scripture. It should encourage you. The world hated Christ before it hated you. You're not going through anything he didn't already experience. And in fact, you'll never go through what he experienced. So jump on the board. Jump on the bandwagon. Go for this fun ride. Because it is fun. Well, it's interesting. We'll put it that way. Memorize verses 18 and 19. You can memorize the whole passage if you want to. Don't stop just because you're like, well, pastor only said I had to memorize the two. No, no. Do extra credit. That's a good thing. But your practical is verses 18 and 19. Commit them to your memory so that when this world persecutes you, you can go, I persecuted my Savior first. And worse than I'm ever going to face. And I can walk through this because I'm walking with him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. It's a gorgeous day out already. I thank you um, that you've seen fit to over the past you know, week, week and a half or so, just give us sunshine, some warmer temperatures, um, a nice reprieve after the, the, the cold of winter and stuff. I thank you for it. I also thank you that you um, warned us years, thousands of years ahead of time of what we would face. Not the intricate details, you know. It doesn't say, Sam Brush, you will face X, Y, and Z. But it does say, as a Christian, you will face these sorts of things. I thank you that you warned us. I thank you that you give us the strength, the mercy, the ability, the grace to walk through those things when we rely on you. I pray that the world would hate each and every person in this room because we're following after you. I also thank you, lastly, Father, that though we are aliens in this world, you've given us a home. We're not there yet, but you've given us a home. And I thank you, Father. Pray your blessing on the rest of our week. Uh, it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.